Hello and welcome to the 40 Below sessions for Volume 2 of 40 Below, Alberta's Winter Anthology. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Tooks. Tooks. They keep your head warm and there are over 16 different spellings of that word. Tooks. So today we are talking with writer Kat Cameron and her story Whiteout is in 40 Below Volume 2. If you are listening to this, you are probably interested in this book. If you'd like to know more about it, you can go to 40belowproject.ca. You can find the book for sale in any chapters or indigo in Alberta, hopefully. You can uh, also check your local bookstore and you can also buy it online. So Kat Cameron is another writer that I'd never met before. Uh, I didn't know much about her. Um, I was very happy to find this piece that she sent into 40 Below Volume 2. Um, it's kind of the kind of a classic short story. There's a lot of... I had a lot of questions for her about her short story. Some of them she was prepared for and others she hadn't really thought of. But I really enjoyed the story and I was really... It was one of those ones where I just wanted to ask a lot of questions about the characters and was she really like this or who, you know, what do you think this meant when she said this? And um, so we found out that the character, the main character in the story, Whiteout, is kind of a recurring character in some other short stories of Cats. So some of those questions that I have can be answered in those other short stories. But like I said, I kind of uh, quiz her quite a bit because I really enjoyed the piece and I think you all will too. She reads uh, a little snippet from it. And um, so let's go talk to... Cat Cameron right now. So I'll just I'll start from the beginning. So we've never met before, I don't think, right? No. Are you from Edmonton originally? Um, I grew up in Edmonton. I was born in Saskatchewan, but my family moved here when I was eight. And uh, so I went, grew up here, went to the University of Alberta for my first degree. And then I spent most of the next two decades in other places, in um, Thunder Bay, Japan, Calgary and Fredericton, and I moved back here in 2004. And it was all was it all teaching jobs that took you all around, or uh, some of it was teaching, some of it was uh, for my masters, my okay. masters in creative writing. Yeah. So and where'd you do that? I did that at the University of New Brunswick. Oh yeah, I applied there a long time ago. I thought that would have been a cool place. I'd never been to the Maritimes, and uh, my dad is from Hal uh, from Halifax, and. Uh, I had studied, I'd looked up this master's program, and I think I applied to it, but I was, I, I didn't get in, obviously, but I it thought it would be a cool place to, to study in a totally different part of the, the country that I'd never been to. It is. It's a, it's a very beautiful small town, and it's a very close-knit um, creative writing community, so it's, it's very helpful. And is it, uh, is the university, it's technically, they have two, basically, locations, but the, the creative writing, the MA people are in, where were you? I was in Fredericton, yeah, and there is a university in St. John. Okay, yeah. but you were in the Fredericton. But I was part. in the Fredericton campus. Yeah. So, what was it like for you doing an MA? Um, it was helpful because um, I'd wanted to write before that, but before I did my master's in creative writing, I hadn't. I'd been sending work out, but hadn't had it published, and that was when I first started getting work published. 
was when I started doing my master's. So I think it definitely helped that way. Yeah, I think we're, we're maybe we're a little bit the same in that way because I didn't really, I don't even think I even considered myself a writer that much until I started the MA. Mm-hmm. It's definitely when people started calling me a writer because that was kind of the first step in the in the course. They would say, you know, you're all writers, so get writing and, uh, you know, get some stuff, not get some stuff published in the larger sense, but send your work out there and put yourself out there and things like that. But I remember as an undergrad, my creative writing courses, I didn't take that many, and it was mostly English courses, and, uh, you know, there was, I sent a few things to journals and stuff like that, but it was, uh, I tell people when I went, when I did the MA, it was like doing kindergarten at grade 12 and mm-hmm. about, in about 12 yeah. months. So what was it like, the f- that first experience getting something accepted? Do you remember what it was? Oh, yes. Um, yep. I had a prose piece. I uh, won honorable mention in contemporary verse two. And uh, you got a couple, did you get a couple copies some mm-hmm. contributor copies, yep. things like that. Yep. I've got a row of contributor copies. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and um, so this piece um, that you're going to read, it's, uh, it's so it's one of the longer pieces in the in the anthology. So you'll just read a, a short bit from it. But so when did this this uh, story come about? When I saw the call for the anthology, I thought this piece is perfect for it because it's all about winter, uh, both literally and metaphorically. Um, because it's set in the winter, and if I read in the piece, there's a near accident on the QE2 on winter roads. But it's also about um, the main character feeling frozen in her life, feeling stymied and unable to move forward. Yeah, I like how you talk about the, the, the metaphorical winter, the being frozen, because uh, so we have Zoe's the main character, mm-hmm. we have the boyfriend is Grant, mm-hmm. um, and so, so Zoe, would you consider her, is she an artist? Uh, she's an opera singer, an aspiring opera singer. So, yeah, she's sort of a, that's the generic artist I chose to look at some of the issues of choosing a profession in the arts. And uh, Grant is? Grant's an engineer. Engineer. <laughs> yes. So you kind of, do you see do you see that in real life, living in a place like Edmonton? Do you see people like that where the, the artist is married to somebody that works in the trades and things like that? Um. Maybe not the trades. My husband's a medical researcher, so he's medicine and I'm arts. So I do see, yeah, that dichotomy in careers. And Zoe has, uh, there's a little bit, there's a couple things in her past, which is the the passing of her father, Mm -hmm. but also there's a bit of unpleasantness with with an ex-boyfriend. Yes, there's an earlier story that was published um, in Subterrain about that particular um, episode. Zoe had uh, a boyfriend that was um, physically abusive and followed her. She left where she was living and moved to Edmonton, and he followed her um, there. So there's an allusion to that and also an allusion to the father who has died um, about six months earlier than the story takes place. And she's living with, she's still living very presently with both of those, those kinds of feelings. She's, she's dealing with the death of her father still, but she's also dealing with like that kind of, she might be in, she might be in some danger. She's not quite sure what's around, like behind her, uh, over her shoulder. Exactly. She's, she's dealing with a great deal of anxiety, both over her father's recent death and, um, and the sense that the boyfriend, ex-boyfriend may be somewhere. Yes. Is the new is Grant is the new boyfriend is he uh, is he somebody that came along to like to be like a protector in a way? How, how uh, actually, did he... interestingly, in in uh, the earlier story, Zoe thinks I feel safe with him, but then 
she realizes nothing can really make her safe. So there is that sense of Grant as protector, but also being unable to completely protect her. So I'll, I'll, intru- I'll, I'll let you go ahead and read it. Wait out. At four, Zoe stood with Grant at the back door of his parents' house. The sun was already setting through a haze of blowing snow, a weak yellow glow. We should get going, Grant said to his mother. We'll be driving in the dark as it is. Zoe stood beside him, frantic with impatience. Her practice started at 7.30. She'd been pushing Grant to leave since 3.30, but his mother had insisted that they come back to the house for coffee. Why don't you stay, she'll ask. It's Saturday night. You don't have to work tomorrow. Zoe glanced over at Grant. He wasn't saying anything. I have to be at rehearsal at 7.30, she said. The roads will be terrible, Zoe. It's been snowing all day, and I don't want to drive in the dark. Couldn't you miss rehearsal? Just this once? His brow was wrinkled, that implacable look that said she was being unreasonable, that he knew better, a flat stubbornness. No, I can't. I have to show up. She couldn't believe her tone. She sounded like a prima donna. Really, she just couldn't stand another hour with Grant's mother. Fine. Okay. Grant turned to his mother. I guess we have to get going. Well, it was nice meeting you. Sheila clearly hoped that it would be the last time. Be careful driving back. Grant waited until they were in the car before speaking. Why do you always do that? What? Make your life more important than mine. You said we'd be back in time for rehearsal. I didn't know the weather would be so bad. Would it kill you to stay another night? He fiddled with the dash controls cold air blasting through the vents. Look at it coming down. She said nothing. Sometimes he made her so angry she couldn't speak. There was no room for compromise with him. He always thought he was right. Fine. Have it your way. He got out of the car to scrape the ice off the windshield. By the time they reached Airdrie, the sun had set. The long tunnel of the road, lit by headlights, was pitted with ruts of frozen ice and snow. On the right hand, the darkened ditch waited. A truck loomed behind them, headlights illuminating the snow swirling around them, a tungsten glare. Grant slowed to 50. The truck careened past in the fast lane, sending waves of gravel and snow over the windscreen. Zoe grabbed the side handle, bracing herself. Another truck slid by them in a whoosh of snow. The Sentra bucked and rocked, caught in the backdraft. Grant gripped the steering wheel, his knuckles white. Can't we pull over? We'd slide into the ditch. A single taillight appeared in front of them, a motorcycle or a car with a broken light. All she could see was the red glow, like a warning or a stop sign. Look out! Shit! He took his foot off the gas but the car was right in front of them, half in their lane and half on the shoulder, a long black car with a low bumper, the single taillight gleaming like an evil eye. Grant swerved into the passing lane, and the tires slid on a patch of black ice, pulling them towards the opposite ditch. She'd heard that in an accident, your life flashed before your eyes. She didn't have time to think. Grant cracked the wheel in the direction of the skid, 
Halogen beams illuminated those few seconds, the skid to the left, the wheels sliding under them, the windshield wipers whipping madly back and forth. The tires hit ruts of packed snow, jarred the car sideways, then caught and corrected, pulling the car back to the middle of the road. Grant eased them over to the slow lane, crawling to 20. Fucking asshole! What the hell was he thinking, stopping like that? Sweat slickened his forehead. We're turning around at the next overpass. On the drive back to Calgary, Zoe replayed those few moments over and over. The red headlights appearing out of the darkness. The slow slide towards the ditch. She felt frozen. Her fault. Everything was her fault. Neither of them spoke until they finally pulled up in front of the house. Then Grant turned off the ignition and leaned over, putting his hand on Zoe's thigh. Are you okay, hon? She nodded, shivering. I'm sorry, she said. She wasn't sure why she was apologizing. She was sorry for all the flaws in her life, for all the problems that trailed after her like plumes of car exhaust on a winter night. The, the, the part that you read is them heading back after this. Well, they, she spent a night there, or was it two nights? Uh, they spend one night there, and then they go to the funeral of Grant's great aunt, and then they have to head back to Edmonton for Saturday night for Zoe's rehearsal. And that was, the, that was kind of the agreement, and that, this is the, that's the part that you read, is them yes, driving back? Yes, the agreement that they would be back in time if they go to the funeral, which Zoe didn't want to go to, that they would be back in time for her rehearsal. Now I, I keep now as a as an editor I read this story and I of course really liked it it just hit all the thing you know like you said it, it's about winter in so many mm-hmm. ways um, it's also an Albertan story there's the QE2 there's the you know I, I noticed the you know a lot of the submissions some that got in and some that didn't there was a lot of driving imagery because driving in winter is such a different experience yes people have that well it, it's a near death experience in so many ways. Um, even just hitting the ditch, you're not sure what's going to happen. So you have that. Um, but I, the, I also found there's there was a, a couple of these things with uh, a road trip in particular, which I would call this part of road trip, between the girlfriend and the boyfriend. And the road trip is kind of revealing uh, a lot more about the relationship than than uh, than just them just being at home or something like that. Yeah, it's revealing some points of conflict definitely between the two characters. So when they get to, they get to Calgary, and immediately this the Sheila uh, Sheila so Grant's mother is just that kind of how do you ex- how do you explain uh, describe this character Sheila um, she's someone who doesn't think anyone is good enough for her son I would say that's how I that's how I'd explain her just someone who's not going to accept someone and I the the thing I noticed between and I think I guess that's what's similar between Grant and his mother. They don't seem to um, step into anybody else's shoes but their own. They don't think about other people's feelings. Certainly Sheila doesn't. Um, Grant in some of the later stories is a little more developed, I would say. In, in this story, he's, he's kind of a foil for a lot of Zoe's anxieties. But, um, yeah, certainly Sheila doesn't seem to have a great deal of compassion. And so somebody that doesn't think somebody that doesn't think her anybody's good enough for her son, and yet she brings up. So I'm I'm just assuming now that people that are listening to this have have read the story, mm-hmm. and uh, 
So she just kind of brings up out of the blue the suggestion that, Zoe, you're a singer. Why don't you sing something at the service? Mm -hmm. Which to me seems ridiculous considering they'd never met before, which I'm sure the reader's supposed to think that that's ridiculous. Yes, to ask someone that you've just met to to do something that normally Zoe as a professional would be paid for. (laughs) But is it also the idea that, is there something there that, is that a t- is it a test? Is she testing the the girlfriend? I don't see it as a test. I see it more well as um, the lack of value that certain individuals put on um, on art. That if as an editor, you may have been asked to edit things for free, and that's your profession. Um, so I see that, and I know I know singers, and I know how much training they put in, and and. This is how many of them make their living, and I think this probably happens to them fairly often. They are asked to offer their services for free, which you wouldn't think of doing with a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer. Yeah. So I think the whole the whole thing about it was less of, of a test from Sheila and just her lack of value for what Zoe has chosen to do, um, and which comes in in some of the dialogue, too, when she says, you know, an opera singer. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so I think I think that's where Sheila is is coming from is that she doesn't value what Zoe does or who Zoe is uh, at all. Well, I definitely I, I definitely see what you what you mean there. My my brother is a he's a singer songwriter, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we've had a couple. There's been a couple tense moments where you know if you'll be at a family dinner or a family gathering, and someone will just say, "Well, why don't you just pick up the guitar?" And you know, there's there's that idea that. It's not kind of what it's all about. I mean, if he wants to do that as his own choice, mm-hmm. you know, then he then he'll do that. But if he's kind of you know ordered to or requested like he's a jukebox, it's a bit uncomfortable. Just asked to perform on the spot, yeah. and also the idea that you know that you could just perform with again a lack of understanding. I mean, my mother is a singer, and the lack of understanding that if you are with a new accompanist, you need to practice. So yeah. um, it was, that was how I was, that was what I was trying to get across with, with that. And certainly I, I do know people that have just, you know, been asked to sing, sing out of the blue. Yeah. The, the, like you just said, it, it, there's also the idea that you can just do it at, uh, on command. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. if someone, if someone, uh, if you were at a party and you said you were a writer and they said, oh, that's great. Why don't you sit down and write us, write something for us? Like exactly. you didn't need, yes. you know, hours of thought or research or prep or, you know, I'm saying hours, it could be days, it could be, you don't know how long it's going to take, but just the fact that someone would say, you know, you don't need to warm up your vocal cords, you don't need to work with the accompanist, you you don't need to do any of that, you just need, we'll snap our fingers and you'll sing, because that's Mm -hmm. what you do. That's what you do, sort of sing for your supper. (laughs) Yeah, and so, once again, moving on, I don't like to, yeah, I don't, we're not supposed to like Sheila. What's this sleeping in separate bedrooms idea, that Zoe sleeps in the guest bedroom, is that just kind of like she's a bit the mom's conservative, or is the it, mom is is it also conservative? Yeah, the mom is conservative. But I mean, again, it's it's sort of separating them. So the the scene at the end when there's the showdown between Sheila and Zoe, it's it's sort of Zoe asserting her rights to be with Grant and and Sheila trying to face her down, saying, you know, I, I think in a conservative household that would be that would be an issue. So. Putting that ending with the fact that the, there are other stories that are going to involve her, mm-hmm. how satisfying is it to you as the writer of it? How much does this satisfy her position? Is this is this something that um, 
is this a large victory for her? Is it a small victory? Is it something that is she, you know, is there a realization that's going to come later? Or is it just something that's much more subtle? Um, I'm still, yeah, I'm still working. I'm still working on the fifth Zoe story in the series. So I'm still very immersed in it. So she has these small victories, small victories, but she doesn't, she hasn't really had a great breakthrough yet. So I, th- I think it's a small victory um, at the end of the story, but um, there's still many unresolved issues, as you can, as you can tell in the story and in, in some of the later ones, too, um, that she needs to work through. Well, like I, like I said, of course uh, I like the story because uh, I chose it for the, for the anthology. I think it fits in great, and uh, I had a lot of things that I wanted to talk about, but after, especially after reading it so many times and you know, uh, having my first, you know, it's great to, to read something as a reader as well, mm-hmm. not just as an editor and just kind of go feel all those emotions like, oh, the, why does the mother have to be like that? Or why does Grant have to be like that? You know, you feel like you're invested in it. And uh, it's always it's fascinating to hear other people's reaction to the story, because often people, not just this story, but, but poetry I've written and, and people will pick up things that I didn't focus on. And I find that so fascinating that um Everyone brings their own perspective to a work of art, so that I always find that really interesting talking to people about about um, work and, and see what they thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for for coming in. Thanks for for reading that little bit. I, I'm sure that uh, people that have read it in the in the book, you know, love love it. And uh, it was great hearing you read. And thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for accepting the piece. I'm thrilled to have it in the anthology. No problem. <laughs>